eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the local lanes to the PBA Tour, bowling fans, welcome to the Castle Lane Spare Time Bowling Show, presented by the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Associates. Now, here's your host, Steve Sparky Pfeiffer, on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Well, we're, we're going to fake it out Sparky this morning, Dwight. It's just you and I here in the studio. I'm Phil Brilo, Dwight Albrecht from the Spare Time Bowling Pro Shop here with me on the Castle Lane Spare Time Bowling Show, and a lot to get through this morning, Dwight. Uh, we're going to talk about USA versus the World last week on ESPN. We're going to wrap up the show later on today talking about the Chameleon and Shark Championships going back-to-back on ESPN yeah, this afternoon starting at noon Central Time. And uh, a couple interesting guests in the middle. We're going to be talking to Bill O'Neill, who was part of that USA versus the World. The real deal. The real deal. I don't know if he likes that nickname anymore. We'll have to ask you don't? him. Oh, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's too keen on the nickname anymore, but we'll have to get him something they, they changed it, a little though. more unique. Yeah, you see that Wes Malott. Strikes you know, a lot. Strikes a lot. West Malad, Big Nasty. He doesn't like Big Nasty yeah. anymore. So we'll have to come up with something for, for Bill O'Neill when we talk to him <laughs> in the second segment. And uh, touched on it a little bit last week uh, off air, and it's going to be an interesting tap to get mm. into on air this week with <laughs> Jeff Rickles from the 11thframe.com blog yes. and uh, some possible changes to bowling equipment and kind of reining equipment back to a, a prior day Yes, that's uh, being brought up by the USBC and – uh, Something I know near you, and dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it affects you a lot, and we'll oh, get into does. that in, in, when we talk to Jeff a little later on this morning. And, uh, yeah, it could be something that really affects everybody that listens to this show that bowls yeah. in a league and or yeah. bowls in tournaments, and, and it, it could you know have some financial consequences for well, them down the yeah. road. Yeah. So USA versus the world. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I thought about the show that I thought they could have touched on a little bit more there was a little money involved for these guys. I mean, yeah. it was it was forty thousand dollars for the winner of that two game match. That's a lot of money for two games of bowling. Yes, there's also some things, and you're out there, so I've been waiting all week to ask you this. Um, for the last couple of years that it was in the National Bowling Stadium, um, I have always kind of been used to more of a camera view of an eye lane level, and the last couple of years they put the cameras up real high. And it's just really hard for me, at least, to watch the ball go down the lane because you're at such a steep angle. And I'm sure it's everything to do with the seating there right. and, and everything. But it, I, I kind of like, or I'm at least used to seeing that lane level. And when it's so high, it just, I don't know, I, it's hard for me to kind of watch what's going on. It's almost a distraction type of level. you know. And I just was wondering if you 
pick that out or I, I know it's all because of the seating and everything, but it's just for a fan watching it. It, it doesn't give a real perspective of what the ball's really doing when it's more, it's how your eyes adjust to it as a fan and, and a viewer. Well, I, I think you're exactly right, Dwight, with somebody like you who, who works with ball motion all the time in the pro shop and sees things, how these balls are reacting. You know, somebody like you, you know, it's a little bit of, a, of an off angle for, for, for that. For the casual viewer, I, I think they kind of like to see, you know, the ball just closes in from wide down to tight and gets mm-hmm. into the pins. And it's a different view for the casual, for the casual viewer as well. Uh, it's a little tough to get used to, but as we get into the later events, once we get into 2018 and big February for the PBA, you know every bowling center is a little bit different. And I know yeah. uh, I always thought the angles at Wayne Webb's Columbus Bowl and at Woodland Bowl are a little different because yes. it's very low ceilings and it's yeah. tight. And it gives you more of that intimate feel than the bowling stadium does. It's tough to make an intimate feel in a 78-lane stadium with 60-foot high ceilings. Mm-hmm. And you know they're doing the best they can with it, with those, with those angles, unfortunately. Has anyone ever brought that up to you uh, regarding the angles or how high it was? What my, my first take on it was when, obviously, men's nationals, our USBC tournament, would go there. And, obviously, it's quite a big facility, and it's kind of awing. It's, it's got several levels to it. And so I decided to go up to the top and look down, and it's kind of like watching ants bowl because you're so high. Yeah. But it also is the perspective of how different the ball looks going down the lane. It doesn't look like you're covering as many boards. It almost looks like how little the ball actually does hook as it's going down the lane. And oh. and that's the kind of the same impression I get watching from that camera angle. And I'm sure that all the future shows coming will be that same camera angle. Yeah, all the shows for the World Series of Bowling are going to have that same angle. And it, it, it's a different look, but it's something that as the shows go on, I think everybody's going to get used to. Mm-hmm. And then I believe the first year they went to it is when Gary Faulkner Jr. ended up winning uh, the World Championship. Correct, because yeah. they had that in the stadium, and then that year in 2015, they had all the rest of the shows down in the Kingpin Lounge mm-hmm. in the lower level of the bowling stadium where they only had those 12 lanes. Yeah, just, so, just as a fan, hard to follow. I don't know if I'm crazy about the camera angle, but obviously great show. Um, other, th- other point that I always like, uh, people talk about it actually in the shop, is how vague they are on, on the lane condition that they're bowling on. They call it the Earl Anthony shot. But bowlers actually want to know, well, they do mention the, the length, um, mm-hmm. and they do mention that it is more of an oilier condition. But I think bowlers would like to get well, have someone describe what is considered oily like in, in units, milliliters yep. of oil. And then they want to know the ratio. People want to know what ratios of oil are because they know that a house shot's about a 12 to 1, 13 to 1, and they don't give that. It's it's a little vague of... of um, information regarding the shot. I I agree with them. I'd like to see a little bit more technical or have Randy explain, well, they're on 26 milliliters of oil. What you guys hit in league are around 19 milliliters of oil. So they're obviously, you know, more, the higher rev rate guys are going to dominate this type of lane condition. Yeah, and for people that want to know what the lane pattern's on, as all these World Series of Bowling shows go on, you can go to pba.com and there's a link in the menus for lane conditions uh, they don't give the actual amounts, but they do give the ratios of the oil as it is across the lane and the length of the patterns and uh, a little insight into that. And that's something that the diehards can really go to on their own as well. So something, you know, it's once again, it's right in that fine line between <clears throat> all of us that geek out over bowling right. can get into the technical end of things and the other 500,000 yes. people it. that are watching that yeah. just go league bowling and it's what people come into the shop and they bounce things off of me, and then I kind of analyze it, and then I'm just like, yeah, you know, that does make a little sense. I sure would love to see a little bit more technical information or a graphic, because uh, I think a lot of the viewers today are tuning in to understand and, and 
gain some knowledge on different lane conditions. And a lot of it's pretty always what I call vague or they touch on it a little bit, but it could be quite a bit more in depth if they could. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, one guy that doesn't want to see the Earl Anthony lane condition anytime soon was Dom Barrett. No. Dom struggled a <laughs> bit with playing inside the inside part of the lane, that 42 foot pattern. Yeah. Uh, you could see the ball. Why really, he was so deep. <laughs> yeah. And he, he's one of those guys that can really trick up the shot. I mean, he loves playing different hand positions and can really trick it up. And he was kind of his own unique zone. We watched guys yeah. like Bill O'Neill, who we're going to talk to later, and you know even Jason Belmonte to the outside part of the lane, playing relatively straight. And here's Don Barrett getting in the middle of the lane and circling it. He struck out the first game. They didn't show it on TV, but he did strike out the first game for 213. So then you got to be thinking to yourself, if you're Stu Williams, the captain, yeah. all right, it was just one bad shot. <laughs> Dom struck out in the 10th. Let's leave. Let's not change the lineup and get in the game, too. Smallwood struck out, 226-213 for the win. And then the USA just comes out of the gates, and they, there was no looking back. They, they start with the first four. I think you could honestly say it was probably Matt McNeil's two biggest shots of his young yeah. career to this point. Very impressive. When he struck yeah. in the third and eighth, and really yeah. that one in the eighth was pretty much lock jaws for the USA. And, and, and you bring up a good point because he owns that National Bowling Stadium, how many – um, USBC titles that he has there. I mean, that is his house. I mean, he has dominated that place uh, as a lefty. Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, I, I bowled many years with Danny Speranza, who now works for USBC, <clears throat> and he was ball designer down at Columbia 300 for many years. And Danny, you know, uh, I thought a pretty good lefty, he would always look at me and say, why do you bowl with me? And I said, well, Danny, I, I like bowling with you. You're a great guy. He goes, yeah. yeah, but lefties have no chance on the USBC shot. I'm just donating and Matt McNeil comes out and dominates as a lefty at a, at a very tough lane condition for that tournament and very tough house. And, and Matt's attitude, the first time we saw Matt at the National Bowling Stadium was in 2015 when he bowled with Anthony Pepe in the Rothholm yeah. and doubles. And McNeil said, this is the most, you know, he said it right on ESPN, this is the most nervous I've ever been in my life. And it kind of showed. And he was really cool, calm, and collected. The team format, I'm sure, helped out with that a little bit. He was familiar with team bowling from his days at Wichita State. And uh, the team bowling maybe, you know, brought the nerves down a little bit. You got four other guys to count on. And, you know, uh, the USA versus the world, I love the I love the team concept right. with professional bowling. I'm a huge fan of the PBA League. And maybe that that why he, started again. And maybe that's why he had the react that he did, and they kept showing that react after his strike because he knew how important that shot was, and he maybe knew that, uh, at least on that lane condition, that uh, he obviously needed to strike, and he did. So, I mean, bowlers react to a, a, a good shot in, in many different ways, and maybe him spinning around in circles was a release that, oh, thank God, I'm done with this shot. Well, and then, you know, we talked last week about bowlers to look out for. We've really seen international players oh, yeah. really make impressions at the World Series of Bowling, and Muhammad Rafiq Ismail. Oh, my God. Does that kid throw on? I, I said you've well, got to watch this kid throw a ball. Yeah. And it, I mean, he yeah. went four for four. He struck every – or I'm sorry, yeah. he went three for four. Almost struck on the fourth, fourth attempt. He, he left the light three pin. But yep. the kid is 20 years old, and he throws it phenomenally. Yeah, very well coached. Uh, what he does in his backswing with the curved arm, I don't think many people can do. But he has all uh, – Tom Clark was 100% correct. This is the kid to watch for if he stays healthy, um, puts a lot of torque on his game. So, obviously, he's young enough uh, at you know the moment and present. But um, very impressed with this game. But he has all the ingredients to be a star out there, and that's speed and power. And 
And it just shows you that the pins understand that when the ball goes through it, that you're throwing at 18, 19 miles an hour and you have close to a 500 rev rate. And he's also, the other thing is he's deadly accurate also. So I, I, it looks like he could be our one of our next future stars. Yes, I agree with you. Did you notice that for Ismail, his right pants leg, he cuffed his pants leg at the lower part of his pants leg. Did you notice no, that? No, that I did not pick yeah, up Yeah, because on. he gets. they showed him when Randy Peterson was talking about his game during the telecast, they showed, they analyzed his swing yes. and how he came from inside out yep. with the hand and everything. And he gets so close to his pan, to his ankle all the time, he would brush his pants leg. Yeah. And I, so to make sure it doesn't, you know. I don't believe they touched on it, but. No. No. But, well, he, he yeah. cuffs his pants leg. I've known one or two other players that have done that in the past, but I mm-hmm. haven't seen that in a long time. But that's, I mean, you watch these players get so to close to the ankle and right. you just wonder. Well, a lot you of never top, see him bounce one off. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of top pros is, in all the years that I went through coaching that um, and got my certifications in coaching, that is one of the things that we were always looking for. If you had a true inside-out swing at the, at least the release point, the ball should be right next to your ankle. And we always knew when it wasn't that the bowler was muscling it with their lead shoulder. Um, so uh, I, I had bounced a few off of my ankle or, or at least slide toe on my shoe, and it would go right off into the gutter. And people would look and turn around and look at me and go, what was that? I'm like, it was a good shot. I really liked it, <laughs> you know, because I could actually feel it right next to my ankle or, or clipping yeah. my, my slide toe. So, um, no, I didn't catch up or pick up on that. But if you watch a lot of the pros uh, at release points, their ball's sucked in right next to their ankle, slide foot ankle. And then you look at the future of the game and – you look at the number of international players. You know they showed the rankings. Yeah. You know you've got Jesper one, Belmo two coming into the the USA versus the world from yes. the qualifying for the for the initial part of the World Series, and you just have to think to yourself, it's we've got a lot of work to do here in the U.S. to catch up, and that's something we can talk a little bit to Bill O'Neill about because Bill was very familiar with international competition. He was on Team USA for I believe six years, and he's won some medals in international competition, and you know he'll give us some insight about how good these international players are getting, but it's, it's scary how quick and from how many different places in the world, these bowlers are coming over and getting better. It's not just on the men's tour. You look at the PWBA tour this year, you look at the number of bowlers from Singapore and Malaysia, the Asian Bridget Poplar from Germany, winning a title this year on the PWBA tour. Yep. Incredible talent. Yeah. It's kind of like what basketball used to be catching up to us when they let the dream team in the Olympics in 92 and, you know, everybody all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, the USA wasn't taking golds at the world championships anymore, and, and they had to work harder to get at it. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the the next level, as we get another three, four, five years uh, into the pro, uh, the PBA Tour and the PWBA Tour, uh, how the international contingent really continues to take over. Well, my question for you is, I'm sorry, I'm bad on the name. Uh, the lefty again is that? Ismail. Ismail. Who coached him? Was that a, a Tim Mack deal? No, Malaysia's had strong, strong teams for a long time uh, in international competition. It's basically homegrown talent. It's all homegrown wow. talent. They have government support for their national bowling teams. There's quite a few uh, countries in Southeast Asia that have government support for any sports that is considered an Olympic style sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, with bowling being one of them, Singapore uh, national team is government supported. And these bowlers. Uh, you know, not only receive the funds from what they win in tournaments and such, but they also receive support from the government to keep practicing at their sport and keep working and getting better. South Korea, we didn't see any bowlers at uh, the World Series of Bowling 
from South Korea, but they have a very strong contingent as well, and they made some good showings at the World Bowling Championships in Las Vegas right after the World Series was done. And, you know, it's an, another one, too, where, you know, th they're sending coaches over. They're coming over to the United States. They're getting the information. They're coming back home. They're getting these players better, and it's really tough for, for everybody to keep up. So we're going to get to our first break of the morning here on the Castle Lane Spare Time Bowling Show. Bill O'Neill coming up next. Once again, the Castle Lane Spare Time Bowling Radio Show on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Phil Brylow, Dwight Albrecht here with us and joining us on the phone, Bill O'Neill. Bill, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Getting ready for the holidays. You got a new addition to the family recently, and uh, how's everything uh, rolling back at home in Pennsylvania? Yeah, everything is uh, everything is really good. Uh, since I since I returned home from uh, the World Series bowling right after, uh, right before Thanksgiving, I've been uh, uh, stay at home dad. So uh, uh, I'm a little little more gray up top and <laughs> a little more tired, but uh, I think things are going well. Good to hear, good to hear. Yeah, mentioning out in Reno, we were just talking about in our first segment, the USA versus the World show last week on ESPN that you were a part of. And uh, how, how great is it to be part of team bowling for you? I mean, great college career at Saginaw Valley. Uh, PBA League, last couple of years, Dallas Strikers, PBA League champions. How, how fun is an event like that for you to bowl, let alone what the prize money would actually be? Yeah, you know, it's something I, I talk about all the time when people ask me is, it, you know, it's we don't ever get to do it. You know, we're always bowling individually. So um, I, I, it's something I really enjoy going all the way back to my, my days in, in college. And then for bowling for team USA for, for seven years and, and then getting to be a part of the league with, you know, with, you know, great, great players like Norm and Tommy. And, and uh, it, it's just, you know, it's so much fun to be able to, to, you know, succeed, you know, and enjoy it with, with other people. Cause you know, when we're doing it with ourselves. It's just, you succeed, and pretty much everybody is angry that you succeeded. So when when you when you think things are going well and you can enjoy it with other people, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you were part of Team USA for from 2009 to 2015. Uh, had some pretty good success in international competition. A couple of singles gold medals in 2010 and 2013. And you know, did you live vicariously through the guys bowling for Team USA this year when they were in Las Vegas just after the World Series of Bowling for the World Championships? You know, I did. I I, I enjoyed uh, following along and, and seeing what seeing what the guys were doing and um it, it's it's also really cool to see how how much better the the rest of the world has gotten uh when when i first started in in, in uh, i think it was 09 uh they were you know the rest of the world was was just starting to kind of uh come around and uh you know the competition wasn't wasn't there yet but now it's it's unbelievable like countries all over the world there can can compete and 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 have a really good chance of, at beating uh, any of the any of the guys from, from the USA in any particular time. So uh, just, you know, following along the whole event uh, was, was pretty cool. So, Bill, we were talking about it at the first break on how good the international players are getting. And I asked Phil if, obviously, you know, like we were so impressed. Uh, Tom Clark was in the studio last week talking about Ismail, the lefty. Um, and are these guys getting uh, coaching from guys like Tim Mack or some of the other uh, U.S. Uh, coaches have they been working with these international players, or where are they? Where are they getting this talent? Are they just naturally born with it? Well, uh, you know, it's obviously going to be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, it's just harnessing that 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 talent that you're born with that uh, probably wasn't there uh, 20 years ago or so. But yeah, there is a lot of coaches that that have gone come from uh, you know the USA and, and then have 
traveled overseas to do a lot of that is, you know, we have Purvis Granger, uh, Bill Hoffman, uh, Rick Benoit in Saudi Arabia. So you have, you know, good guy, really smart people who are traveling the world. And then also with the, with the, with the internet, you know, like the, at all of the, uh, coaching and, and all the, the, the tools, the mental side of it is readily available online, which it wasn't before. And that's why you also see, uh, younger players come out on tour at 19, 20, 21 are able to, uh, succeed at a, at a much faster level than they ever were before. Is it tough for you to keep upping your game to get to the level of these young new players that are coming out there? I mean, what are you doing to, to keep uh, the process of improvement going, to keep getting better where you're staying competitive on the PBA Tour? You had a sixth-place finish in the World Championship, obviously the USA versus the World Show. You've always had great success at the World Series. You've got three titles there over the years. What do you do to keep the process of improvement going for yourself? Yeah, so so one thing that I, I've seen throughout the years is you know the, the evolution of the game from, from from the time I came out to to now, and then you see um, certain uh, players they either they they either embrace that and they, they they they're able to change their game a little bit, change their ball roll, whatever it is to try to succeed, and then you have other guys who um, just complain about it and then they and they flame out. Uh, so uh, you know I wanted to be you know I wanted to be the guy who who kept working at it. You know obviously you. Like it, you can see the the difference uh, now compared to seven eight years ago, and it's up to it's up to the bowler to make those to make those changes. Um, you know, I always wanted to be a guy like you know Chris Barnes and, and and Norm Duke and these guys who are just constantly evolving and and uh, tailoring their games to what is out there and not really you know can, not not worried about what the other guys are doing, just seeing what's successful and trying to get there. So going back to the show of uh, the USA versus the world, um, and obviously I watch it live. I don't like to find out the results beforehand because a lot of the shows are taped. Um, I was just amazed on how, why or how far inside Don Barrett was for a, an opponent on, on your team, and you're seeing that this guy obviously has made quite a, a couple of errant shots on the show, and he's so far inside Versus everyone else so far outside. Are you guys looking your chops or looking at it as a gift? Well, I, I mean, not really because he's still only throwing two shots, and his ball reaction was fine. He just had to throw it slow. So uh, if he threw it slow in those same spots, the ball would hook back and, and it would have been fine. Uh, you know, but the, the tendency on, on on TV is to you know you you get a little bit amped up and yep. and you revert back to you know what you're what you're comfortable with. So if you're, you know, most of the time the idea is to try to play as close to your A game as possible. So you don't want those bad habits. And, and, and Dom typically doesn't want to throw the ball that slow. So that's, that's probably what, what happened to him there. And, and Baker, it, Baker gets kind of tough, especially for, for the guy who's the, the anchor bowler because they're, they're standing around a lot, you know, so you're, you're practicing and, you know, stuff that you're not seeing is, you know, the, the, the breaks that are, uh, in between how, you know, when we practice to when they were actually allowed to throw the first ball. Yep. So by the time, you know, they get up there in the fifth frame, they've been waiting a long time. And yep. it's, it's just out of our norm. We're not something we're not used to, used to doing. So, you know, that's, that's probably what ended up happening to him. Yeah. Cause I like the idea of all the players being mic'd and you can pick that up in the comments. And at the end, Kyle Troop, I believe turned and looked at him and said, you need to move 15 boards to the right. Obviously <laughs> it was a great, moment and a, and a good laugh I, I laughed out loud at it but was he right <laughs> in, in hindsight sure yeah he definitely was but you know when we when we practiced 
uh, on that TV pair beforehand, uh, you know, we had bowled a little bit. There was more shots on it than when we when we started, and that's where the play was. I mean, at the end of our practice session, I was sliding 25 and throwing it slow and 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 hooking a little bit. That's where you know that's where the, the play was. But then when we when we started, um, you know, we didn't get as many shots after they reoiled. You know, a bunch of urethane balls had gone down the lane. You know, around 810. So that's what I was looking at. Say, okay, let me you try to use that urethane spot as you know as hold and you know, and that's kind of what what Kyle and I did on on our side. So, um, one final question I had for you is: How great is it to have Marshall Holman as your captain? Uh, it, you know, like it's the same as when I bowled the the, uh, the the PBA league with you know with Norm. Right. And you get to you know be around the be around the greats of the game and people that you looked up to and and uh, you know admired as, as as a kid, and now you get to compete with them and. You know, or in Marshall's case, you know, coach us. It was it was really neat. It was also I don't know if you could hear it on the mic, but Marshall has a hard time shutting off his broadcaster brain. So <laughs> he, he 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 was talking to us like a like he was still in the booth. Yes, he, I called the shot. Really, it was really really. Yeah, he was calling the shots <laughs> while we were bowling. It was it was uh, you know kept it light for me anyway because it was it was uh, I didn't even I don't know if he knew he was doing it and it was making me laugh. There's no way that Marshall can turn off that internal fire that he has for the sport. That is instituted in him for the rest of his life. Well, uh, yeah, and I, you know, you you see that you'll see that with with anybody who's really, really, really good. Like you, you, you know, there's a reason why Walter Ray is still is still bowling. You know, right. because it's he he can, you cannot get rid of that competitiveness it's, with people who are that great. You just cannot. Shut it's all they you know. Find, well, if, yeah. they, if he stops going, they have to find another way to to be competitive in, in something, and that's you know that's what makes those guys so good. Well, you know, you mentioned competitive. You know, you're coming off of the last game of World Championship qualifying, uh, didn't go your way. You ended up in sixth place overall for the World Championship. Now you have this big long break until you get to big February for the PBA. Uh, what are you doing to get yourself ready for for 2018 and have a year like you did back in 2015 with a with a couple of titles and uh, and, and get maybe a little bit closer to that PBA Hall of Fame requirement where you need the ten titles or, or five with two majors. Yeah, uh, you know I'm uh, I'm getting really close uh, with my physical game. It's it's gotten a lot better in the last six months. I made some big changes over the summer, so um, I knew it was going to take some time, and and I didn't want to I didn't want to bail out on the on the changes I was making if it didn't go right early on. So um, you know I'm I'm getting really close to being 100 percent comfortable and. Uh, you know, being able to do all the things that I want to on the lanes, and I just got to keep keep practicing at, at, at those things and get it to where I'm I'm sharp. And um, I got I'm doing a bunch of traveling and, and bowling uh, uh, before the before the February swing, so uh, you know I should be I should be pretty pretty sharp going in. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. And of course, bowling is always the equation of the physical game, the mental game, and the equipment game. Uh, have you been making any changes to the style of the drilling of your equipment at all? To uh, change up the way your ball rolls down the lane, the way it looks uh, as it goes through the pocket. Uh, not, not really. Um, you know, with being on Hammerstaff, we're we're able to use all four brands of Ebonite. So basically, you know, there we have so many different different products that um, you know you can kind of stay with the same you know three or four layouts that that you're comfortable with and, and find the right cover core combination to what. You know you, what you're trying to achieve out there. So um, you know I think you'll you'll find that with 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 most guys out on tour. There, there's not a whole lot of you know people assume that there's 
all these tour layouts and all these trick things that are happening, but really you just find your favorite three or four layouts and, and, you know, you don't really deviate too much from that unless it's a total specialty type thing and you happen to drill a ball for a three-game stretch somewhere, but that's, you know, that's a rarity. So based off of things that you are currently working on, are a lot of the guys, obviously, you mentioned the word tricking. Is that one of the main things that you're working on is trying to change your ball road to match up to the conditions that you're on? Yeah, I think uh, I needed to change my ball roll kind of back to where it was, like in the 2010 time period. Uh, I got uh, I got into a funk, um, you know, for for a couple of years of, of trying to make it hook too much down the lane, and uh, I got into a position where I was pulling it down from the top a lot, and and then it would cause my elbow to flare out, and yep. I was getting my hand really around the side of it, and it just it just created such such bad ball motion for me, um, and I just kind of needed to get to get back to where I was, where my hand was a little bit uh, more up the back of it, and, and and lower my degrees of tilt, so I would you know cover more the circumference of the ball, so that it would it would read the lane in a more a more true fashion, and not have my ball going all over the place. You know, this year for the World Series of Bowling, the patterns they had names that we saw in the past, but the patterns were definitely different than what you guys had bowled on in the past. Uh, what's uh, what are you looking forward to in seeing some of these new patterns? Like when you get to go to Akron uh, for Riviera Lanes for the first time for the Tournament of Champions, and bowl on the Don Johnson. Do you look forward to seeing these different patterns on the PBA Tour, or would you rather just have them sit and cycle through uh, the five or six patterns all the way through the year? Uh, you know, to be honest, I completely shut my brain off to the to the idea of the names of the patterns. Um, it's not it's it's almost meaningless. Because the, 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 what you're bowling on, if they change the, the volumes or the type of oil, where you're going to a different center in a different part of the country, you know, different weather, different uh, surfaces, it, all those variables change what's out there. So uh, I've never wanted to go into a, an event where I said, oh, it's this pattern, and I remember playing on this pattern a year ago somewhere else. So this is where I, this is what I'm going to do. I, I treat every every event uh, uniquely uh, because they they really are. Um, you know, I bowled on the quote-unquote cheetah pattern where the gutter did hook, and then I bowled on it where um, if you miss left, you could go Brooklyn, and then the next time if you miss left, you could 280. So uh, they're always changing. Uh, I don't, I don't look at the. I, I mean, I I look at the pattern for you know maybe for a, a, a to see what kind of length is out there, but I, I let my ball tell me uh, where it is I'm supposed to play it at any particular time. And. When did we come out with the Bill O'Neill hair pick? Now you've made it official on the <laughs> ESPN show last week. Is it going to be a signature model line? Are you going to have different colors? Or are you just going to leave that yeah, to Kyle? I'm thinking about, yeah, just getting a big one uh, uh, and putting my, putting my face on it. You know, oh. like similar to like uh, Quest Love of the Roots. I think I'm going to be, uh, I'm gonna be in, that, in that mode, I think, soon. Uh, I, think I, have the, I think I have the right Too hair funny. for it. i got to be honest. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing that on Extra Frame and on ESPN in February. Bill O'Neill, thanks for your time. Merry Christmas to you and the family. Best of luck, Bill. Yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas to you guys as well. We'll see you, uh, see you in February. Thanks a lot, Bill. And we're going to get to a break. Jeff Riggles right around the corner here on the Spare Time Bowling Radio Show. Thanks again, Phil Anko, Patty Anko, Castellanes, for being our title sponsors here on the Spare Time Bowling Radio Show. <laughs> And welcome back to the Castellanes Spare Time Bowling Show here on 105.7 FM. The fan, Phil Brylow, Dwight Albrecht in the studio with you this morning. Sparky will be back next week to guide the ship. And with us on the phone, Jeff Riggles from the 11thframe.com blog and Capital Times newspapers out in the Madison area. And, and Jeff, you kind of broke some news over the last 
week and a half or so that a lot of I'd say it's it's brought a lot of attention uh, that casual league players or maybe some casual tournament players uh, have have paid attention more to than anything in the sport in the last few years. Why don't you uh, let people know what uh, some uh, something might be happening with their bowling balls? Apparently, yeah, we're uh, I think there's a lot of people really waiting to see what's going to happen here and. I don't think I so much broke news because uh, USBC Executive Director Chad Murphy told us this was coming um, in his uh, annual State of the USBC report uh, early in 2017, and then I wrote something sort of based off that and then some of those Facebook polls, pseudo-polls that he was doing, um, uh, and then my follow-up story there was right before the USBC convention in April. And, uh, you know, when we were out at the World Series, it was sort of the, the big, as I called it, the elephant in the room. Everyone was kind of talking about it, except no one would talk about it to me <laughs> on, on the record or anything. Sure. Um, and uh, quite understandably. Um, and so I just said, I got to put all this together and uh, lay it out there. And I don't know what USBC is going to propose. I don't think at this point, USBC may not know exactly what they're going to propose because, They've got a couple of different rules working here. One will be differential, the change in the differential of the bowling ball, which basically tells you how strong the core is, um, how much it will rev up for layman's terms. And then also the cover stock oil absorption, which measures the strength of the cover stock. And I know the oil absorption thing is in the hands of the uh, ball makers, and that's giving them a chance to rebut it or give their concerns or whatever. So I don't think any of this is set in stone yet, and I didn't pretend in my – I went out of my way to say it's not set in stone in yeah. what I wrote. But what I wanted to say was to let people know, okay, we've been talking about this. USBC has been talking about this. Here's some of the things that are being considered. Here's what could happen if they do it. Here's what they mean. Kind of just lay it all out there. And I did it in the two stories, and needless to say, it, I think most people hadn't been paying a lot of attention yet. And I kind of laid it out there in a way it hadn't – no one else had laid it out there, obviously. And uh, when you go to the implications of what might happen seemingly in early 2018, it sounds like it's uh, it's far-reaching. It might be the most dramatic change in the rules of bowling in, Absolutely. You know, in, in years and years. Yeah, and it's just the base of – you said you didn't break it, but, I mean, the Internet chatter, the Facebook chatter that just blew up after your story yeah. hit your blog really got a lot of people's attention and – it's not just the thing for me was it's not just these high level tournament bowlers. I mean, I used to bowl tournaments. I bowl in a couple leagues a week now, and if I have to buy five or six new pieces of equipment at one hundred and fifty dollars a piece for just a, a, a mid level ball, my pro shop guy's gonna love me. Don't get me wrong, but you know it, it could be a, a a point a price point where it might price me out of the sport. I might decide I'm not gonna bowl league anymore and. You know, it can really affect participation numbers, and I think a lot of people are looking at it from the financial standpoint right now, no doubt about it. What's going to happen? What changes are going to come out of my pocketbook if this happens? Not just on our end as bowlers, but on the manufacturer's end as well. Well, sure, and I think one thing everyone should relax about is Chad went out of his way in, in, one, in a Facebook post to say, if you go out and buy a bowling ball, you'll be able to use it for the life of the ball, which – is kind of a real open-ended statement because some people consider the life of a reactive ball to be 50 games or something. Other people, I've got balls that I used for hundreds of games 
and had successful with. So that's kind of an open-ended statement. But I was I, one thing I'm real clear on from v- multiple sources is that they're looking at a grandfather clause for existing bowling balls of at least a year, and I've been told four years is the working number they're working with. So that means great for the bowler who has an arsenal of bowling balls that will be illegal under any new rules they propose. Not so good for guys like Dwight who, you know, if, I, if I've if i got this high-powered bowling ball that I can keep using or several for the next year to four years, why would I buy some weaker ball unless the lane conditions are meant for a much weaker ball. So that's going to make the regular bowlers happy, but it's going to crush distributors, pro shops, and ball makers. And yet, and, and yet if they don't grandfather, then it's going to anger all the bowlers, as you just pointed out. So this is really such a um, bunch of landmines here that, yep. you know, I could see so many different things happening from lawsuits from ball makers to uh, league bowlers, many, many, many leagues just saying, forget it, I'm not certifying. I want to keep using my ball if they didn't offer a grandfather. I want to keep using this ball and shooting 300s and throwing a big hook. So there are just so many, many landmines here. It's really going to be interesting to see what happens here once these proposals come out. And uh, I honestly, I'm just not, I just don't get, why USBC is going to spend political capital on, on this. Uh, I, I just, I really don't get it. Well, being in uh, the drilling end of it for 34 years, Jeff, and working for a major golf store that had bowling for 21 years, the one thing that I can tell you is that I just don't think you can stop technology and equipment in any sport. Then you might as well roll yep. the clock back to golf and, Everyone's got to use a, a little persimmon wooded driver and a non-cavity back iron or a wooded yep. tennis frame in tennis. It's the newness of the product that keeps the bowlers excited and, and happy to go to the pro shop and say, I'm going to try that latest and greatest ball. I mean, could it really help me type of deal? And, and I, I just think it's a massive turn the wrong direction to stifle that, that technology of course, it's my livelihood. Sure, I own a pro shop. I sure. Right away when I heard the story last week from Tom, the first thing that I thought of was multi-million dollar lawsuit by the ball manufacturers. As you say in your sure. article, that one gentleman that you interviewed said, well, I better start looking for a new job. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is we've really had three dramatic changes in ball technology. In the early 70s, yep. the Soaker came about, Don McCune. Yep. Early 80s, urethane came about. Yep. Early 90s, resin came about. Yep. So, okay, if you're going to choose a new rule or new set of rules, don't you want to say, okay, era 1970s was best, era 1980s was best, and actually really dial, if you're going to do this, Aren't you going to say, okay, things got screwed up when the Excalibur and resin came out. We're going back to urethane and pancake cores and all that. The numbers that they're throwing around in the oil absorption, they're basically dialing it back to, I don't know, 1995, somewhere in the mid-'90s. Where did these numbers come from? This is what I'm really interested to hear from Chad and from the USBC is why these numbers? Why was 1996 or 95 or whatever it is, why was it better then what – it was much worse now compared to then. I think a much more logical case can be made if you want to go on an anti-technology uh, spiel is to say, okay, resin was bad and fancy cores are bad, so we're going all the way back to the 1980s or something like that. I just don't know what kind of case you're going to make to dial the resin and core era back partially. You know, right. why? You know, where are you coming up with these numbers? That's what I want to hear from USBC. That's the case they need to make if they're going to have any chance of getting this through without – causing, you know, 
as I said, war. And I said industry right. war, obviously, metaphorically, which right. led to a pretty crazy Facebook yes. post by Chad. But, you know, I mean, what do you get? Am I not raw, right there? No, you're 100% right. My point all week thinking about this was, why are you even doing this? Are you trying to bring integrity back to the sport? Are you trying to lower scores? Jeff, you know as well as I, lane conditions and pins are what dictate the scores. Sure. I mean, don't pick on the balls. You know, that's the way I look at it. Just the wrong direction. Balls just balls just give you stronger balls. Just give you potential for higher scores. The lane man is still the king. Absolutely. Anyone who doesn't believe that, the extreme thing is the Peterson Classic that proves yeah. that. But you also can see it at the U.S. Open when they used flat lane conditions. Look at the recent World Championships. I believe the highest average in that, with all the best bowlers or most of the best bowlers in the entire world there, out in Las Vegas for the World Bowling World Championships, the high average for the week was 217. Yeah. The all events winner was a Chinese Taipei spinner, spinner. who threw a 12-pound yeah. helicopter ball. <laughs> yeah. That tells you what the lane conditions were like. Right. And there were guys, fabulous multi-time PBA Tour champions, who had blocks where they couldn't average 190. So, you know, whatever you want to say about bowling balls, and I understand all the arguments, the lane man still is the ultimate Absolutely. arbiter of the scoring pace. No doubt about that. Jeff Riggles, 11thframe.com blog. People, if you have not spent the $1.99 a month to see what's going on in the bowling world and get a little extra objective view from Jeff Riggles, go out and do it. I'm a subscriber. It's worked out well for me. You get information that you just don't get anywhere else. Jeff, thanks again for the time this morning. Always, anytime. I just wish Sparky had been here. I would love to hear his whole feel on this. I hope he gets to cover it later and with a good oh, rant. Oh, you know it well. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know he's listening from afar right now, no doubt about it. Thanks again, Jeff. All right. And that was Jeff Rickles from the 11frame.com blog here on the Castle Lanes Spare Time Bowling Radio Show here, 105.7 FM, the, the fan. And we will talk about the PBA Tour on ESPN coming up after the break. Castle Lanes Spare Time Bowling Show here on 107, 105.7 FM, the fan. I should have listened to Rami more during Fantasy Football <laughs> Weekly this year. My fantasy team was horrendous this season. No playoffs for me. How about you, Dwight? I don't play Phil. Oh, oh. Betty, B- Betty, my wife, has been talking about, and I'm like, Betty, you don't even follow all the teams in football. You just follow the, the Packers unless you want to make your fantasy team all Packer players. <laughs> I'm going to try to salvage Week 15. I'll be listening. I just think she likes to morning. gamble. You know, She plays like, not to rip on my wife, but she'll go to Pottawatomie. And she'll play a, a a slot machine that she has no idea how it works. Okay, so it's the one that obviously just maxes out all the lines, and sure. if she wins, she wins. She doesn't, she doesn't. But she doesn't know when she wins. <laughs> so maybe that's the best way of doing it. It could I don't be. Know. Well, there's gonna be two two people that know when they win today on ESPN. Two PBA shows back to back. PBA Chameleon Championship presented by Reno Tahoe will be kicking things off. And the top four in that show, Tom Smallwood, Liz Johnson, Anthony Pepe, Wes Malott. Wow. It's a heck of a show. And, of course, that first match is all four bowlers bowling one game. The top two scorers from that game advance to the championship match. Mm. And I know Sparky likes that format, but I don't. It's just too hard to follow. It's too fast. It's just going too fast. It's a little, it's a little fast, but the thing is, is that it keeps it fair because all four players are on that same pair of lanes. Back in 2015, we talked about where they taped the shows in the Kingpin Lounge at the National Bowling Stadium. They had two bowlers on one pair, two bowlers on the other pair. Yeah, and I know and then it's they time use the, restraints. They used the right lane on one pair and the left right. lane on the other to make the TV finals pair. And that was a, you know, that was a little 
off, and yeah. I can see why they did. You know, you're trying to make it as fair as possible, but I think for what you got to fit in an hour, it, it, it's fast, but. You know, you, you're going to come out of there with a champion. and yeah. Well, you know everyone's going to be obviously watching if Liz can break through again. Well, she hasn't broken through yet. I mean, she's got all those PWBA Tour titles and everything, but right. she hasn't won on the PBA Tour. Kelly Kulik, of course, back in 2012 right. in, the, in the Tournament of Champions being the only winner uh, on it's the Chris National Barnes. Tour for, yeah. for a lady. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Pepe threw the ball good all Yeah, good week. to see him back on TV. It's been a long time. Yeah, he threw it all week. Pepe's my pick. For the chameleon, who, who are you going to go with, White? Oh God, I I don't know. That was going to be my question for you, Phil. Is okay. you're out there every week, and are you seeing more of a do- dominance of the two-handers versus the one-handers? No, you look at that first show. No two-handers there. Looking yeah, no two-handers. The two second handers. show here with the PBA Shark Championship presented by Extra Frame. Yeah, they took money on my paycheck to sponsor that show on Extra Frame. Just so you know, <laughs> you're not getting a Christmas present, Dwight. Uh, a couple of familiar it. faces with Marshall Kent and Tom Doherty. Yeah. And a couple of new faces, Richie Teese out of England, yeah. Charlie Brown Jr. Charlie out of Brown. Michigan. And yeah. you know, Charlie, colorful player, gave you know a recommitment back to the tour, and he threw a huge 279 final game just to make the cut in the match play. Just uh, the name alone is going to draw attention <laughs> to the guy. <laughs> no doubt. And, uh, you know, quality guy coming back out on tour after a few years off. And I, You know, Sparky doesn't like to see the new faces out there. I love seeing the new faces and maybe the unknown talent and, and love seeing them break through because you got to remember even the guys that are the hall of famers had to start in that same spot as the unknowns were at some point. Yeah. And, and with that, Charlie Brown, he's, he's going to be my favorite in that event. I mean, watching him, if you haven't seen it on the PBA YouTube channel yet, uh, we've done some great featurettes about each round of qualifying and match play for each of the animal patterns during the World Series, and we've got the chameleon and the shark up there. So if you got a little time before watching the ESPN shows today, highly recommend going to YouTube. Go to the PBA YouTube channel and, and check out uh, how all these players made their way to the show. And you'll see that uh, Charlie Brown Jr., he had the toughest road to the show on that shark championship. Big last game of qualifying. He had to get by DJ Archer. He did that. Had to get by the number one qualifier, Shota Kawazoa, in the semifinals. And you got to figure, I mean, momentum's a big thing in bowling, Dwight. Always it, it, has been. It is, Phil, but it's a lot of times, are, like for these guys, this is their first time on national TV, and how much does that get into their head that they're going to be on national TV and on the lights? You know, so you, oh, that's why a lot of times the guys that have been there many times, like let's say my pick's going to probably be Wes Malott for the first show just because of the experience factor that he's been there. And then Marshall Kent, he's Marshall still Kent, an outside probably. hunt at, at Player of the Year. He won in Lubbock, Texas on the Extra yep. Frame uh, Storm Cup Tour. Then he won the Oklahoma Open. Yeah, he's my pick for the second show. And, yeah, and, and Marshall is still – He can know, do anything to the ball. Yeah. He's all-world all talent. So, great show. ESPN, coming, yeah, though. no doubt. Yeah. ESPN noon central time today for those of you listening out Can't on either coast. And appreciate everybody hanging with us this morning. Sparky list. Spare Time Bowling Radio Show. Spark, you'll be back next week. Dwight, thanks again for a good morning on the show. And, hey, people, if you haven't subscribed to Extra Frame yet, there's a special going on. Check it out, pba.com, and uh, get a little more of me when when I'm not on the Spare Time Show. Great Christmas present. Absolutely great Christmas present. We'll be back next week, everybody, on Christmas Eve. Have a great week.